Haralabop is coming. The Ringer NBA show. You know what else is coming? NBA preview palooza. Two days of NBA content on all of the Ringer platforms, posts, Instagram, Facebook, podcasts, Twitter, you name it. It's all over the place. All your favorites, everybody you've ever read on the Ringer, all kinds of things. We tape some segments. You're going to love it. Get ready for that. NBA Preview Palooza, Monday, coming. All right, on the line. It's been a while. He disappeared. He was gone. He didn't totally disappear on Twitter, but he disappeared from the podcast airwaves. I can't even remember the last time we did one. Haralla Bob Volgaris, how are you? I'm good, Bill. How are you doing? I think the last one we did was prior to game five of Golden State, Oklahoma City, Western Conference Finals. I think that was the last one we did. Oh my God. So we're talking over a year? I think so, yeah. Oh, well over a year, yeah. Do we want to talk about the story about why you disappeared from the airwaves for a year or are we just going to ignore it? I mean, there was no real... I don't think there was like a real, I just kind of, I would say we ignore it. I don't know. I, I didn't want to do any more podcasts. Didn't really feel like I was up to doing any podcasts. Had nothing to talk about. Had nothing interesting to say. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure that's changed now, but I guess we'll find out. Well, a lot's happened. I would say it was the most tumultuous summer in NBA history. The decision was probably more tumultuous in 2010 just because, you know, it, it it just LeBron switching teams, entering the prime, all stuff. But for just p- sheer player movement, this is the craziest. What was the thing you were the most stunned by as you watched all this stuff happen? Um, Chris Paul, I think, going to Houston, I think was probably the most surprising. Thing. I mean, Kyrie Irving was surprising. Actually, that's pretty – I mean, those two would be the most surprising, I suppose. Um. But yeah, the Chris Paul thing kind of threw me for a loop. I mean, I I thought he would, I thought he would. I mean, he didn't seem happy. That's for sure. The team didn't didn't seem like he was gonna. He was long for the Clippers, but I was I was just kind of shocked that that Houston scooped him up. We were going to the same amount of Clipper games, and then and I really didn't go that much the last couple of years. You were still going. You were sitting courtside for a lot of them. You you kind of saw the seeds for the Chris Paul departure pretty much most of last season, right? Yeah, they didn't, they definitely didn't look like, I mean, some of it is just his competitive nature. I don't think the players hated him or anything like that. I just think there's, there's different times where, where a change seems like a change is needed. And it definitely seemed like a change was needed there. There's a lot of frustration on that team. That's a tough, that was a tough team to play for. I think, um, just a tough squad. It was, there was a lot of, different i mean you had the deandre jordan thing right where he was supposed to go to dallas and then changed his mind and they kidnapped him and he changed his mind right um and then you just you had the, the weird playoff collapses i mean the oklahoma city collapse that they had i don't remember that game where he yes they were up that to me was like the most i don't know if they ever got over that to be perfectly frank between the sure combo ever got over that yeah the combo of that and then the houston collapse the next year i think yeah, the yeah. Houston collapse. I forgot about the Houston. The Houston yeah. collapse was different because it was it was over like an entire quarter. Yeah. The Clipper, the the the, the Oklahoma City collapse was like twenty seconds. It was like the craziest. I mean, I, I don't know what the odds were for them to lose that game, but they had to have been obscene. Yeah. Given that scoring situation, I wrote about him let during the Utah series last April about whether him as this A list basketball player, basically, if that era was over and. You know, especially as he gets older and older, I didn't feel like he barely made it through that series. You know, he was running on fumes by game six, six, and you know the history of point guards and how the aging process for them, all that stuff. He's going to Houston. Maybe this is the right time in his career to do that and be like kind of the number two guy to James Harden. Do you think he'll be willing to accept that? Yeah, I think so. Um, I do too. I mean. The- the cool thing is, is that he can be the number two guy when they're, by the way, I don't, I'm not sure he has a ton of value as a number two guy as a spot up shooter in that offense where he has a ton of value is they will always have one of those two guys on the court. Yeah. And that will be, that will be, I mean, Chris Paul feasting on backups or Harden feasting on backups will be unfair. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think so, then, what's, what's been the, 
trying to think of other basketball situations that have been like that. I guess that when when Miami that first year had LeBron and Wade, when Wade was really, really still at his peak, and one sure. of those guys was always out there, it was, that was similar. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, you could you could make a few. I don't know that there's ever been two primary ball handlers like that. I mean, Wade was was kind of a ball handler. LeBron obviously was their de facto point guard. But having two guys who have been so ball dominant over the course of their career um, share the court is going to be interesting. And then, yeah, the having them being able to stagger them. I mean, Houston will figure it out. They're a smart team. Yeah, they'll, I'm sure they'll they'll figure out the, or at least they'll they'll try a bunch of different shit until they figure something out. I mean, they're willing to try different things. That's for sure. Um, it'll be interesting. I'm just not a hundred percent. I've never been one of those. Hey, there's only one ball guy because I think we've been burned by that logic too many times. But it really is going to be interesting to watch Chris Paul in a situation where he's not the guy and where he's not making all the decisions. Like even when he would defer to Blake on the Clippers when Blake was at his peak, it was always happening because Chris Paul was okay with it happening. He ultimately was the decider of where the ball went, what happened, who who was okay to have it. And now James Harden has been basically in the same situation for three years that's the part I, I'm not saying it's not going to work. I just want to see sure. how they resolve it, you know, and that they're going to really have to have a partnership on a high level. I mean, you remember the first year with Wade and LeBron, it, it really took them that whole season and the finals loss for them to figure out what the partnership should be, you know? Yeah. I, I think the difference between these two players is um, both of them can, are just much better shooters uh, from distance. Yeah. Um, so there's a little bit more space. And then the other part that's kind of, I mean, people didn't really talk. I mean, I haven't really talked or, or I don't really, people aren't really talking about Harden's collapse last year and versus the Spurs in that last game and, and the, and the, and the tail end of the previous game before yeah. they got eliminated. I think he will benefit. I mean, look, he played the, almost the entire regular season, uh, had the ball played a ton of minutes was, was trying to win an MVP award, whatever. I think he'll benefit from, you know, a lesser, a less, a less of a load. And I think, Paul can help him there for sure. And I think both of them suffered from the same issue, which was the predictability the last five minutes, right? You always kind of knew what was going to happen in the last five minutes of a Clipper game. And it was the same thing with the Rockets game. You kind of knew what they were going to do. And maybe now they'll be able to not be as predictable. Yeah. I am interested to see how that plays out because I do feel like Houston's offense, the structure of their offense, when the game bogs down, um, it, it, it isn't that, I mean, it's, it's, they, you know what they're going to do. They know what they're going to do. Question of whether they can execute, but it, there's, you know, when you take away their fast break stuff or their early offense stuff, um, they are a lot easier to defend as that's true with most teams, obviously. But I, I guess my question is, is will they be able to sustain more of a, a transition game for the entire 48 minutes because the load will be distributed more evenly. And maybe that's possible. Chris Paul's never really been a transition point guard either. He's been a kind of a pounding no. point guard dribbling the ball. And it'll be interesting. The, the shot charts will be interesting to look at too, because here you have a guy who is pretty efficient, deadly efficient in the mid range, and Houston's kind of abandoned those shots. Uh, you know, they've they've gone to Mori ball, so it'll be interesting to see how how they function with being able to use that extra little bit of real estate on the court, where you know the three, you know, the long two is no longer a dead, you know, terrible shot that they just avoid. They had a lot of turnovers last year by avoiding taking those shots. I mean, you could say that their points per shot was a lot better, and they're definitely a more efficient offense. But they all there was also a turnover trade-off by just basically playing hot potato anytime you had the ball in that area and refusing to shoot it. So uh, yeah, my be guess cool. it'll be really interesting. My guess would be Daryl and and his whole crew has studied this over the summer because, you know, we all knew that this was maybe an issue, and teams were hadn't really gone full out to exploit it, and then the Spurs. They, they put such a big spotlight on it. I don't know how you come out of that playoff series and don't try to tweak the system a little bit. I'd, I'd be shocked if they didn't account for it a tiny bit, right? Yeah, I mean, he'll they'll let him take long twos, I'm pretty sure. Because, he's, yeah. I mean, I know they will. They've said they will, and he's he's good at it. His, his long twos aren't terrible. It's not like, you know, Blake taking a long two. He's got that um, move, that the right side of the free throw line. Yep. I've watched it yep. 10,000 times. All right, so you may or may not have a model that examines some of these things. What is your model? Does it offer any clues for what Chris Paul and James Harden would look like together other than the obvious of 
what both of them are on the court, one of them is on the court at all times? Um, yeah, I mean, the interaction effects are pretty tough to model between, yeah. I mean, you, you can definitely plug in, you know, do some sort of model that accounts for just the player's value, but there is a diminishing return when you have two ball dominant players and there's only one. So that is the one thing that is, that is a counter argument to the, well, I don't really believe in that there's only one ball thing. There are diminishing returns because there is only one ball. Um, I don't know. I haven't actually, I haven't actually ran anything for this year um, to see how it would work. I'm just mostly just relaxing and waiting for the season to start. I don't really, really get too, too early on doing anything until the season actually starts. But I, I, I have a feeling that we will think that they are going to be a very good team. Um, they might be the second best team in the Western Conference with maybe like another dark horse candidate. Who do you have as a dark horse candidate? Um, I like to keep that stuff to myself sometimes. Oh my I, God, I, Jesus. I had, I, I had Oklahoma City as a real dark horse candidate before they signed Mello. Then it's not as, not as dark anymore at that point. Well, I mean, I'm not even sure that they will be as good uh, as Whoa. they would have been. I'm not sure that Manelo moves a needle for him too much. I mean, he might, but I definitely don't see it as like a slam dunk positive for them. I think there's, you know, people talk about, oh, maybe we'll get like Olympic Mellow, FIBA Mellow, whatever. Yeah, Ho- maybe, we will. Mello. maybe we'll get, maybe we'll get, the, maybe we'll get Hoodie Mellow who just lost a pound the ball for 18 seconds with no concept of the shot clock and refuses to play the four. I mean, there's could, lots of, this could go a lot of different ways. It's not like Wessel Westbrook has a history of really like, you know, making guys play to their best ability, right? Yeah. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think they're going to be a fascinating team to watch. Uh, I can't wait I to watch that. him. And I think I think Robertson is going to set the record for most feet. Defenses have constantly laid off somebody over the course of a season. It's got, it, Nobody's going to come within five feet from, from him when he's in the corner. Just why, why would you? Take why would it, you? please. I wonder, I, wonder what, I wonder if he... If he actually makes more open shots or or draws more or or, or charges gets more charges because he's trying to barrel into the lane, refusing to take a long shot, it'll be interesting. I don't know. I don't know. I, if, I think my guess would be that it trends toward he eventually becomes unplayable because you saw it in the playoffs he, last year. He lost his confidence to the point that you almost couldn't have him out there, but they didn't really have a choice. At some point, they're gonna have yeah. a better choice. And I think I think that he's he he. He is playable off the ball. He can definitely offensive rebound because people are like people are abandoning him on offense. So it allows him to roam for rebounds, allows him to roam for cuts. Um, and he is a positive player overall because of his defense. Now, can you really afford to it's it's a lot easier to defend a team with him with someone like him on the court when there's also like someone like Oladipo and Yeah. Sabonis and all these other guys who who couldn't really shoot either, or couldn't really stretch, you know, spread the floor. Now I think they've got a much much more balanced offensive attack, and so maybe teams won't really be able to avoid, you know, you know, back off on him and 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 make up for it too much. We'll see. I'm not sure. Where do you, uh, I do think? Where do you stand on Paul George? I mean, I was the originator of the Paul George. I know. I remember in- you, you, you formed the fan club, <laughs> you built the bandwagon, the whole thing, but I did all that stuff. What yeah. about and the last I, couple of years? Has it affected it? I mean, this guy went through a pretty people like, Oh, he's so inconsistent. Like, yeah. I mean, he broke, what did he do? He, he, his leg almost got torn entirely from his body. Yeah. Um, it took him a while to recover from that. I, I guess that's reasonable. He had a great playoff series and he played for a team that was pretty much garbage without him. So, um, I don't know. I mean, he's, he's another interesting one because I, I don't think you can really have a ton of success if he's your best player. I think, I think not now anyways, the way the game has changed a little bit. Yeah. Um, but he is a very, very good player. He's an, he has been historically an extremely underrated defender. Um, and you know, he had those battles with, with, with people forget the battles they had with the heat and yeah. he had those battles with LeBron. I mean, he's a big time player. Uh, I, I just think that injury is really tough to, that's a tough injury to overcome. I mean, that was gruesome. It's um, It's been funny reading over the summer, like, you know, and be, because basketball is a 12 month a year, every day you have to write about stuff and have takes and all this stuff. So you keep, people keep floating back. Paul George and Kyrie were two of the catalysts for it of, well, Kyrie's not a superstar. He's not, you, you're not winning a title if he's your best player. And, and, and my counter argument was, well, yeah, that's everybody in the league basically, except for three guys. <laughs> yeah, like, there's, like yeah, there's two levels true. of superstars. There's the LeBron level of 
if he's on your team, you're winning 50 games. And then there's the next calling, level. What are we calling uh, the the top level if they're not superstars, right? I mean, they're... Well, they're, I think I, I think they're super duper stars and they're superstars. Like Anthony Davis is a superstar, <laughs> but he's 39 wins star. on a mediocre team, right? And we've had yeah. a million guys like this. I think the key is you want that group of guys that can pr- that have proven or have yet to prove, but you know it's coming that in a big playoff series when everybody's got their two or three dudes, you need two or three dudes. And who can be those sure. dudes? And Kyrie's one of those dudes. Paul George is one of those dudes. And you go on down the yeah. line. Um, but I, I don't think that doesn't mean Paul George isn't a quote unquote superstar, but he's clearly not. Like he had his own team in Indiana and they could barely make the playoffs. Um, so I don't know what the word Fair is. Enough. Whatever the word is, yeah. yeah. Um, Kyrie was polarizing. Where'd you stand on Kyrie? Um, I was, I mean, uh, I was never a Kyrie Irving fan. Oh, here we uh, go. All right. I hate when we no, disagree. I, ne- <laughs> I mean, I never was. I, I'm not going to try and lie and pretend I was. I mean, he had a, he was in the year they won the championship. He was easily their worst defensive player. Um, they bum hunted him the entire game, posting him up, you know, trying getting switches, favorable switches. And he was, he was, he was bad on defense. He was really bad on defense. That being said, uh, he did play very good on offense in moments. He there's a certain ability that I think I I and other people like me, although I, sh- I don't other people like me kind of underestimate, and that's the ability to you know people have the ability to create your own shot. That's always been like oh that's ridiculous. Who can everyone can create their own shot? But there is uh, uh, he definitely has that ability when the game is in the half in the playoffs and fourth quarter. And someone to go one on one, he definitely had the ability to get a decent shot off. Right, um, he's There's... a good offensive player, but he's he's a great scorer. He's a great scorer. He's supremely gifted, but he's never ever been someone who has been like a total positive to his team in terms of like just a actual like any type of analytical method of like whether you want to use something like just a plus minus or SPM or any of these other methods that people are using. They show that when Kyrie is on the floor and and LeBron is not, the team is worse with Kyrie on the floor than they are with them on. That 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 is something that the math that those models are using has 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 stated. Um, now, uh, that doesn't mean he doesn't have the ability to be great at times. Doesn't mean maybe he wasn't playing his best. It just tells you that when LeBron was off the court and Kyrie was off the court, Cleveland was not necessarily better with Kyrie versus off. Can um, I give you the counter argument to that? By the way, I'm not in the bag for Kyrie because even well before I even knew the Celtics <laughs> had a chance to trade for him, like I just couldn't believe everybody didn't want to trade for him. Um, I think LeBron has such a hold over his teams because he's so great, first of all, and then second, because of just the way he plays. And it's just like, this is LeBron's team. You all have to figure it. You have to figure out how to fit into everything he does. And you have to become his chess pieces that he gets to move around the board. And when you, he, when he just sits down, I think it's really hard to adjust for that. And we've never really seen um, at any point in his career a team really be able to figure out what to do when he wasn't on the court because I think he's he's not dominating. It's not like it's not like a thing where like Kobe in the mid two thousands where it's like Kobe just shoots every time and that's you guys just stand there. Um, LeBron just did everything, and I think it's hard to figure out what to do as a five-man basketball team when he's not out there. Is that fair or you think I'm crazy? No, that's a fair point. There's also just this aspect of, I mean, watching, so I went to the finals the year they won, saw the last game, whatever, watching Kyrie when he, you know, when they won, if you go back and watch the video, he wasn't looking for anyone. He was looking for LeBron. And it it wasn't like a teammate. It was like a little brother looking up to his big brother or even like a son looking up to his father. So there definitely is that level also where I think it was difficult for him to play just on LeBron's team and never really feel fully accepted at all times. Maybe by LeBron, I don't know. I mean, anyone who decides he wants to leave in that situation, you can argue that maybe he knew the writing was on the wall and LeBron's eventually anyway, so I might as well leave now. Or maybe was he wanted to be the star on his own team. I don't really know. I don't really care. Um, but I do think you have a valid point. I also think that, um, I don't think it was like, 
a great deal for either team. I don't think like Cleveland really came out with a great team. I mean, Boston had to give up Crowder, which I think maybe may prove to be difficult. Um, I'm not really sold on Kyrie being like this guy who's going to lead a Brad Stevens offense, but I could be wrong. I hundred percent could be wrong. I mean, who knows in the right environment, you know, people will react. All right. So Um, we, but we already saw with Isaiah last year and the year before, but especially last year, the way Stevens was able to use him and take advantage of, of the skills he had. Right. I would argue Cleveland never thought about Kyrie that way, other than this guy who plays off LeBron. And when LeBron's not in the game, okay, now you get to do stuff. But it's not sure. like they ever designed a whole it's not like it's not like Ty Lu was practicing. It wasn't like he was, hey, today we're gonna work on on uh, developing our, our games when Kyrie's in there. Like hey, he wasn't doing that stuff. I think Stevens is gonna be so much more creative about it. And now it's on Kyrie because if if he doesn't go up a level in this Boston offense, then everybody's right. He was who he was and he was lucky to play with LeBron. You know, I, he should at least put up numbers that are relatively similar to what Isaiah was doing per 36 minutes. I think, I think he's yeah, just he as would, talented. He, and he, you know, Boston found the one player who was, I mean, <laughs> or I should say Kyrie found the one point guard where he could say like, oh yeah, I'm a better defender than that guy. Right, like right. Isaiah Thomas <laughs> is like the one def- one player in the league he could say like, oh yeah, I'm a better defender than that guy. No one would be like, oh yeah, you're right. You don't think he was crazy. He's right. He's Isaiah is probably the worst defensive point guard in the league. Just not having him there and having another really bad defensive player is an upgrade for them. He's five, um, he's five inches taller, so that's good. We got that going got for that us. Going for him, yeah, yeah. big time. But he's yeah. better than Dame Lillard too. I think if they if you went head to head with him versus Dame Lillard, I, I would take Kyrie defensively. I think that he has the, the thing about Kyrie that makes it interesting is like he he shouldn't be as bad a defender as he no. is. A lot of it just, just looks like antipathy or just like or apathy. Yeah, yeah, he'd have moments where he really went at Curry and tried to defend him, and but Curry, I think. And Curry's defense is also maligned from time to time, but I don't know. He's kind of cagey. He's not a, he's not the disaster that even maybe I thought Who's he cagey? was computer. He, Curry can be a little cagey sometimes on defense in a good way. Oh, Curry's like he'll a jump passing a, lanes, he'll do stuff. Yeah, yeah. Curry's not a bad defender. He's long, he's anticipates well, he's yeah. eyes. I mean, Kyrie defends like he's wearing socks. He never lifts his legs up. It's like the strangest thing ever. Um, so I think with that Cleveland trade. As as the weeks pass and we get little tidbits here and there, it's pretty clear that I don't know if Isaiah comes back until February. I mean, he might not even come back the whole season for all we know. Who the hell knows? But it seems like uh, getting that Brooklyn pick and being able to kind of wield a little leverage over LeBron about, hey, we can trade this pick for more help. If you agree, you're going to stay. You know, yeah, and I'm they, not sure and, LeBron's ever. No, he he won't ever. Yeah, I'm not sure he's ever. You can ever wield leverage over him. I mean, he is, unless he's like you know, 45 years old and barely able to play. And even then, he'll still be a huge attraction and a and a ticket draw. I don't know that anyone's holding any leverage over. That's the interesting thing about the NBA. It's just it's not just this. I mean, these owners have a lot of you know they're they're billionaires and they they own the team, but the players control the you know, star players the super duper stars that you talked about earlier are the ones who really control the league i and agree with that. The way it should be i, I meant from a leverage standpoint since he got there he's been like you're doing this you're doing that you're paying money for this guy you're gonna spend money there you're trading your first round picks like they basically gutted the team and spent an insane amount of money to make them happy and this and is the one championship which and they, they did, won a championship right? so it worked but yep. now they're in a point where he might leave and everybody in the league seems to think he's going to leave. And I think Kyrie Irving thought he was going to leave. And the consensus seems to be he's going to leave, but he hasn't really come out leave. and said that. And you think he's going to leave and I think he's going to leave, but he hasn't come out and said it yet. And they at least have this chip now right around January, February, where they can go, we're not going to trade this pick because we think you might leave. And it's it's not I leverage maybe is the wrong word, but at least it's something that if he leaves, but if they're, it's not like the last time where they're just completely screwed over and they have nothing. Sure. You know? Well, I mean, if they decide to trade the pick for some player, 
and then LeBron still leaves because LeBron's never going to sign a contract middle of the season. It's he's not going to he's he's not going to be like okay yeah make the trade I'm going to resign right now. I don't think that's ever happening. I think he's going to no, wait till the very which end. Which is why they're going to so, keep the pick. Sure, and if but then them keeping the pick, I think just basically just gives them a chance to rebuild in some ways. Who knows? This Brooklyn pick may not even be that. I mean, the, the lottery balls could go any one of a number of ways. It could be like a four or five. They, they could, it doesn't have to guarantee to be a top top two or three pick. So Yeah, and we're not even sure Brooklyn's one of the five worst teams. I think that was one of the reasons Boston did that trade. Especially like you yeah. see, I hate preseason and I get frustrated with the millennials that they, they really, really value summer league and preseason now for some reason. I just don't understand how we ever crossed that invisible line where preseason mattered. But the Russell stuff's been really encouraging. I think the one thing you can learn from preseason is like, who's in awesome shape this year? Whose team is really gearing their offense around a certain guy? Like little signs. I think Russell, who I, I always felt like was talented. He was clearly in a disaster of a situation from the moment he got to the Lakers, but he is talented. And I don't know, maybe Brooklyn can get out of that top five. We'll see. I don't know. Yeah, they're going to be horrible. I mean, he's he's talented, <laughs> but he's also he's also very young, and they're going to be horrible. You I think they'd be worse than they the Bulls? No, they should be worse than the Bulls. The one thing that the Bulls have going for them is the Bulls are incentivized to lose, right. and Brooklyn isn't. There's um, seven teams like that. There's seven teams that there's four in the East, and I'm including the Knicks. Um, and then there's at least two in the West. We don't know which two, but just Phoenix, law of averages, sure. Phoenix. Almost definitely. And then one other one. But uh, the West is not going to have all good teams. It's impossible. Like they have, and probably maybe a team like Dallas, who if they started out early and somebody got hurt and then all of a sudden they're eight and 22, you know, they would, I think, audible pretty quickly if they had to. But um, yeah, they're, they're, they're definitely in a rebuilding that seems like um, there just isn't, I mean, you, there's just so many teams in the East that are just terrible, that are just like absolutely. Yeah. You, know, you mentioned the Knicks. You, you got the Hawks are going to be terrible. The Bulls are going to be terrible. The Magic are going to be terrible. The Pacers are going to be terrible. The Pistons are probably going to be bad, but they're not going to try to be bad. Um, Except I one mean, of those teams the, by default will actually end up being mediocre just because there's so many other terrible teams. Yeah, and they're going to be playing a bunch of other terrible teams. It's yeah. going to be good for gambling, I think, this year. I think, I think we'll know around February who's going to be making it. It's almost like people have to announce it. All right, we're making our run. Last year tanking, throwing our hats in the ring. Here we go. And it'll be, be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how the commissioner's requests for actual injuries versus rest. I wonder how many teams will just start making up injuries versus just DNP rest. Or it'll be mm. interesting to see how that plays out. How does the rest fit into your model for when you're trying to, shall we say, anticipate the goings on of the league from week to week? It's a variable. Um, uh, I don't really know, to be honest. Um, you can definitely, it, it definitely recognize, I mean, it, there's lots of different models that are separate that just focus exclusively on rest that'll identify like high, you know, high probability for injury games or, you know, I think some, some, someone, re, someone, I can't remember which, maybe it was ESPN released some article about how they, these teams are never going to win these games because of Tom Hebbistro, I think was talking about it. Yeah. Schedule losses. Um, so, yeah, schedule losses. So the model identify. I mean, any any good model or any model worth its salt will will definitely identify those situations. The cool thing about the NBA is there's always been a change. So it's 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 there's there's always some level of subjectivity as well that you want to incorporate. You can kind of tell when teams have hit a wall. You can just from watching the games, you can kind of tell. Yeah, and by um, the by the stink eye, stink eyeing each other, stink eyeing the coach. There's yeah, there's a bunch of little sides. Yeah, or just like sometimes they just give up at the end of the game. The coach isn't even trying to foul when they're down five. They're not tanking. They're just the coach just realizes this team doesn't have it. There's no point. Hmm. Um, so that stuff is interesting. I, I think there will always be, you know, uses for models, but I think there'll always be also always be uses for people who are just tuned in and watch as much as possible and really, really try to watch and consume as much basketball as they can, you know, with their eyes. How are you feeling about the Lakers? I actually went over, we did an over under wins podcast with them with House and Kevin O'Connor and Jason Concepcion. And I actually went over for the Lakers, which people thought I was trying to reverse jinx them. Um, I, I think they the have a lot of talent and I think they're going to be was, good at home. What was the number I don't even know? I think it was 33. Okay. That seems high. 
Yeah, it seems a little high. I don't know. I, I just liked it. I think they're going to be good at home. I think the crowd is so desperate to have a fun Laker team again, and they're actually going to have one this year. That uh, they'll be a fun team to watch, and I'm a huge. I'm. I'm. I love Lonzo Ball. I think he's the best player in the draft. Yeah, you um, loved him. Had, you were saying that during draft time. You couldn't understand yeah. why he wouldn't go first. Yeah, I, I think he's a very special player. I think that he's reminds me. Uh, I don't. There's no real basketball corollary for me. I don't really. I can't. I mean, Nash maybe in yeah. terms of just getting his teammates going, but he even reminds me like of of someone like Gretzky, where he just always seems like he's ahead of the play and he he knows what's happening ahead of time and he's anticipating stuff and he's one move ahead. And I think there isn't really a way to 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 measure basketball IQ. There isn't like a test for that. Um, but if there was, I'm I feel as though he would be off the charts in that sense. Well, the cool thing about what you just said is that's why stats are never going to be able to tell everything in basketball, and that's why the perfect blend of it is a little like what you do. It's you you have all the models, but you also go to the games and you study behavior and you have the, and you rely on the eye test a little bit. And I'm with sure. you. I think like, you know, the Celtics traded down from one to three, they got this extra pick. That's going to be great. And I think it was the right trade. I felt that way at the time, the guy that as the summer passed, the guy who I got scared of more about them passing wasn't false. It was Lonzo just because his ceiling is so much higher for what you said. He, he might be Gretzky. I don't know. I mean, it's it's really rare, and you know it when you see it, the guys who they're such good passers and playmakers that they eventually everyone they're playing with starts kind of emulating it, and it just doesn't happen. Like, LeBron's a great passer, but he's not a great passer. It's not like when people play with him every day, they don't start seeing crazy passing angles and stuff like that. The list of I guys think, is think- just short. I think you do see, I think you do see that with LeBron. I mean, there's definitely videos of him like passing the ball where it loops out of bounds and spins inbounds on the baseline and the player just like hits the player in the hands. And he's like, what? I think LeBron is a great pass. I mean, maybe when I said, I mean, I don't compare him to LeBron because LeBron just does so many other things, but LeBron is definitely a great, probably the best passer in the league. I would say. Yeah. He's a great passer, but he's not bird and magic level passer. You know what I mean? Oh, yes. He's he, not. No, I he's not. No. All right. I'm being the old guy now. I don't know. I mean, I, I, uh, I, I don't, I don't know how you get a team with four players who can't do anything but shoot open three point shots, and the opponent knows this, and you still manage to get them wide open three point shots. I just don't know how it's possible without being a great passer. I mean, he's. I, I said he was a great passer. I'm saying there's another level. It's almost like the super dar, super duper star, superstar, oh, like, yeah. like Magic and Bird. I think Nash Magic was a fancy passer. I'm not sure that, and, and a great passer, but I don't. But I they, mean, there was something about the unselfishness of how they did stuff that got everybody playing that way. And I've never 100 percent seen that from a LeBron team, where like LeBron. Yeah, I mean, there's now you're comparing like being an unselfish player versus being a great passer. But it's all part of the same thing, though. It's yeah, maybe. it's like I have the ball. The ball's moving. I'm finding the open guy. That guy's open. I'm getting it to him. And you're just doing it over and over and over again. And eventually, like I, like I always write about Kevin McHale with with Bird. Kevin McHale was a black hole who somehow became kind of a relatively unselfish passer as his career went along. Just because Bird, he was playing with Bird every day, and he just you you. It's like osmosis. And that's what I see with Lonzo that I think could happen. Sure. Potentially, yeah. I'm, I'm, I think it's. I think that team and Kuzma is exciting. Kuzma, Kuzma he's, <laughs> he's really good. Uh, I don't really like a lot aside from those two guys, but I like those two guys a lot. Brandon um, Ingram, I'm no, not a huge. Eh, maybe I don't know. I mean, I haven't seen. He's very young. He's very long. He's lean. He definitely has the prototype for someone who has a lot of potential to be great. But I'm not as super excited. I'm not super excited about him or Randall. I don't think those are like pieces that you are sure are going to be, you know, guys you can build around for the future. I'm not convinced. I mean, he, he, he could be, but I, I'm not at that point now where I really believe that I feel, I'm not even really at that point with Kuzma either, but I don't get, I don't get super excited about Brandon Ingram and, and even Julius Randall too. Although Julius Randall, when he decides to develop like an offhand, I feel could be scary in some ways. Hmm. But he, I'm not giving up on Julius for the same Paul George broken leg thing you talked about before. He had a really bad yeah. injury, you know, and it, that takes two years. And then he's sure. on a bad team That's last year. Possible. I, I feel like for me, I I I try to I I I 
I try to have like a better idea of how I think a player thinks about basketball, how he plays and, you know, is he selfish? Is he not selfish? Right. I've never, I don't, I'm not saying that Julius Randle is selfish. I don't know him, but he, when I watch him play, I don't think, oh, there's a guy who cares about winning, but I could be wrong. I don't, I just don't, I don't get that from him when I watch him play. He might've he might have missed his era. He might've been better off in like 1993. Yeah. When I watch him play, he seems like a guy who wants to score, not necessarily make the right basketball play. Yeah. And there's no shortage of players like that in the NBA. That's for sure. There are, some of them are valuable and some of them aren't. I'm just not really sure where he's at. Some of these guys are also really young. Who knows how they'll, how they'll change over the years. We never talked, uh, at least on a podcast since last year's finals when the Warriors, like what you're talking about, about the unselfishness and um, just trying to do for the greater good of the team versus like going for your own shot, stuff like that. The Warriors were like the embodiment of that in the uh, playoffs. What was it like for you as a basketball fan watching that team? Boring. Really? Okay. Boring. Yeah, I mean, it's just not fair. It's, I, I don't, I, I, I'm probably biased because I, I've never, ever been a huge Kevin Durant fan to begin with. I always respected his game, but I always. So what are the reasons? That I was never a Kevin Durant fan? Yeah. I don't know. I think like, it's probably because when I was in LA sometimes, someone told me like, yo, Kevin Durant really wants to meet Dan Bilzerian. Do anyone who can introduce him? And I was like, why the fuck would Kevin Durant, who's like a world famous person, be so interested? And so maybe that just kind of, and I, I, I don't have a problem with Dan Bilzerian. I don't it's just, it just was something I was like, wow, this guy's like one of the greatest basketball players of all time. Yeah. Why the fuck does he care about meeting another celebrity on who's a celebrity? It didn't make sense to me. So maybe that, colored me in some way i don't mm. know um but just that like that like real anxious to meet someone where really, he was really 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 wanted to meet and hang out with and i just felt like dude should you be in the gym or something i don't know it seemed interesting to me um that and then just the fact that he left i don't know I, I i don't i don't see it as like teaming up with the enemy i don't see it i just feel like it just seemed as though it was a cop-out like you have a right to play wherever you want to play and if you weren't happy where you're happy that's cool but i don't know going to play with the team that just beat you in seven games and I don't know. And then like that team already is a huge front running team where, you know, they reinvented basketball through, through Silicon Valley techniques with all that other bullshit that they talk about. It just became hard. Just became, it just became hard to, to like <laughs> that team. I don't know what else to say. I, I know like some of the people on the team I've met with the general manager is a nice guy. The assistant general manager, also a really nice guy. The owner, when I met him seemed like a nice guy. I don't know. They all seem like, but just you didn't invent you didn't reinvent basketball you didn't come up with some new techniques that you learned in venture capital world of silicon valley by the way the secret the dirty secret between the, the what what venture capital is in silicon valley is just let's just take a bunch of fucking money and throw it at the wall and see what sticks right it's not like they're not like they're you know incubating these great you know they're not ehrlich on silicon valley and incubating these people and really like nurturing them they're just they're just using a shotgun approach and they're using their leverage and connections to by and large, take advantage of some of these really, really talented programmers. I've never really thought that Silicon Valley was a bastion for genius in the venture capital world. They're just capitalists who took advantage of a situation. So, um, I don't know, we, <laughs> a little bit of a segue, but, but it was, it's hard for me. So when I was watching the games, it was hard for me to separate from the fact that this team was good enough to win the previous year and they didn't, and they didn't need to add this great player to their team to win the next year. Now, not just win, but to completely obliterate the competition. The league is ruined. I'm rooting for some other team to join up and take all the other players and, and beat this team because I just think having one great team like this in the way that they, not in the way they built their team, but in the way that they crowed about how great their team was and then added and then went and added another superstar player just seemed a little bit offensive to me. It sounds like you're ready to hop on the Celtics bandwagon. That's how I took that whole monologue. It sounds like you need Brad Stevens and the Celtics to fight the good fight for you. I feel like when I talk to my dog, the only word he hears is ball, no matter what I'm saying. And I feel like when I talk to you, the only word you hear is Celtics. (laughs) I was was just trying to spin that toward the Celtics. Yeah, yeah, you were. I'm going to say this. I don't have a team that I'm on the bandwagon. I guess if I was going to be on the bandwagon with a team, uh, it would be like, Maybe the Celtics, but I don't. I love Brad Stevens. He's my favorite coach. I think he's awesome. Oh, tell me Would more. Love, yeah, yeah, I love, love that it. guy. I spend hours upon hours watching clips, making streamable clips to share with my friends. Oh, look at this one that they ran. Look at this uh, play that they ran. He love never Brad runs Stevens. out. He's a fountain. He's a fountain of game-winning plays. 
you know, I love him, but I'm not a huge fan of their team. And like, I like Gordon Hayward. I like Al Horford. I just don't think as they're presently comprised that they present a, a challenge to Golden State. I think they're, there's two or three other teams that are better than them that could, you know, conceivably beat Golden State. And I think you're right. I think they're, I think they're still one piece away. I think they're, they moved in a direction that they needed to move to, which is if you're going to play Golden State in a seven game series, you're going to have to get to 120 points. And yeah, most of the decisions they made were based around that. All they, they added three, awesome offensive players. I'm including Tatum who, who the hell knows, but um, right. on paper has a chance to be an awesome scoring forward. You know, Hayward's already a very, very, very good offensive player. And Kyrie's on the short list of dudes who can in any playoff game, put up 45. But the, uh, what you were saying about the Warriors, I agree and I disagree because, and I'm with you, they toot their horn, horn too much. And the famous New York times magazine, Lake interview speaks for itself. I think they get credit for three things over everything else. Um, they they fired Mark Jackson and hired St- and they knew they had a problem with Mark Jackson. They also that, hired Mark Jackson in the first place. But that, that was, was the, I think that might have been the previous owner though, or if it was the new owner, it was right in his first year. And yeah, every NBA owner when they take over a team, they don't know what the hell they're doing for three years. Like look at Steve Ballmer, thought it was a good idea for doc to be the coach and GM. Like now he probably wants to punch himself in the face when he realizes how dumb that is. But when you own a team, when you take it over, you just don't know, but they went and they got Steve Kerr, which was really smart, you know? And I think Steve Kerr was available. He was out there and they were the team that ended up getting him. Um, they backed out of not backed out, but they, they decided not to do that. Clay Thompson, Kevin Love. At one point it was like Clay Thompson, Draymond Green in a pick, like, all these scenarios to get Kevin Love and the old way of basketball thinking would be like, you're crazy, go get Kevin Love. I certainly felt that way. But they they really believed that the game was shifting toward a different style of play. See, and maybe they're that, better I off. Think that you don't, you think, think that's, that's bullshit? No, I think that's bullshit. I think, first of all, it wasn't Silicon Valley if you read like the accounts of what happened with the Kevin Love whatever trade that was aborted. It was Jerry West and it was, like, yeah, two, Jerry West wasn't Steve out Kerr. there incubating Google and, and investing in, in Instacart or whatever. This wasn't a Silicon Valley thing. This is I'm, I'm not saying it was guy. Silicon Valley though. I'm saying, I'm saying as a franchise, they came to the decision that they were actually better off with the team they had. How many team? how many times have we seen teams not realize that, you know, I think they get okay. credit for that. And then the third yeah, thing I'm is, I'm not trying to take away credit from, from them. I mean, look, no, they had no, the no. best season in the regular season history. Um, I think a lot of, I think like there's credit, they deserve credit. And they also deserve a little bit of like, okay, what happened here? Well, we got we hired a coach. We didn't know this guy was going to be a great coach. He turned out to be a great coach. That worked out really well. We got very lucky that Stephen Curry, A, fell into our laps during the draft. B, got in, was injury prone his entire career that was willing to sign for, less. for a reduced amount of that money that allowed him to. They also had the CBA thing that happened in such a way that allowed them to now, oh, you know, and allowed them now to build their team in the way they did. That was a once in a lifetime thing that happened. Um, they got they lucky benefit- with the lottery, the Harrison Barnes lottery. Well, they tanked to get there. They tanked, but they still weren't guaranteed that they would be able to keep their pick and they lucked out. They did luck out. Um, so they made a lot of great decisions. Look, this. I think the thing that, that a lot of people, and I've definitely been guilty of this. I'm nowhere near the level of success that, you know, some of these Silicon Valley guys or the, or the owner, you know, I'm not a billionaire. I'm not even close. But I think a lot of people confuse, you know, actual how much how much role luck and just happenstance happens in life. And if, and if you're going to be that way, and you're also going to be that way in sports, I mean, there's so much luck in sports that goes unreally accounted for. People confuse. I mean, look, they they won the championship the first year. That was an amazing year. They got you know they got unlucky to lose the one the next year. They could have been three time champs. Maybe yep. they didn't even get Durant if they win the next. There's lots of things that could have happened. What they've done is amazing putting together that team, but I don't think that, you know, people are saying that they recognize the three point shot ahead of their time. That's bullshit. I don't think they Um, did that. That I definitely don't think that. I think that what they did realize was that maybe Curry and Clay together was a better asset than any other available option out there. You know what I mean? Did they, did they realize that, uh, Draymond Green was better than David Lee because that didn't happen until Until they got got injured. injured. Well, you so talk about I luck, think, like Draymond sure. Green falling to them 
is insane in retrospect. Whether whether people thought he was ever going to lose the weight or not, like it seemed stupid when he went as late as he did. And I think even like the Bulls passing on him was kind yeah. of incredible. He's like the perfect Tibbs guy. I will say this. Bob Myers is a great general manager. I agree. He's a humble individual. You don't hear him talking. You don't hear him talking about how great he is. You don't hear about him talking about how great a team he put together, anything like this. And I feel like he, if anything, is underrated as a general manager, as an executive. And then the adverse of that, the opposite of that is their ownership group is definitely overrated in terms of what they've done. I feel like the truth is somewhere in the middle. Um, and, but no, you have the original question was, do I enjoy watching them play basketball? And the answer is no, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't enjoy going to, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't read the plot summary on a movie to find out how it's going to, going to end and then decide to go watch it. And I feel like when I go watch their basketball games, I already know they're going to win. And I don't really think that they're really doing anything really special. There's nothing exciting about seeing them hit three pointer after three pointer. It's, there is a certain level of it that is, you can stand back and appreciate. But for me, I enjoy, I think everyone enjoys watching competitive basketball and watching you know, the uncertainty of whether or not a team can beat them. And I haven't ever felt, I never felt at one point during last year that they were possibly going to lose a playoff series to someone and not win the chance. To me, it was a foregone conclusion at the beginning of the year when they signed him and it turned out to be a foregone one. I think that, and that for me is not exciting. Um, from some people it might be, but for me, I don't enjoy that. I felt the first three rounds, they basically ruined it was just, I've never been less interested to watch the one seed in the first three rounds of the playoffs. I will say, I love the finals. I really, had a, I really, I really, I just thought the, uh, I've talked about this before on pod, so I don't want to repeat it for sure. the people, but just the, the quick thumbnail sketches. I just thought the, the shot making and the playmaking and the offense was exceptional. And, um, you know, I went to three of the games but just the level of offensive basketball was just about the highest I'd seen since the heyday, like the eighties, which of course didn't really, nobody really used the three point line at that time, but yeah, I was, I was that just was, amazed that by was it. The, that was the pinnacle of, of, of basketball offense as far as I'm concerned. I can appreciate that, but it doesn't make, I guess for me, I just wasn't excited to watch it. I feel like that'd be something I would be excited to watch highlight tapes of on YouTube, like years later or even after the game's over, but watching the entire game from start to finish the one thing that was interesting with the finals is like, is Cleveland absolutely obliterated Boston? Yeah. And so it kind of gave you this this like hope that maybe they could compete and maybe they're going to be really good too. And then you watched game one and game two and you're like, nope, not happening. But the thing is they, they, they really should have won game three, which we can say, you can go back to every finals and point to, I mean, we have an Orlando Magic fan in our office, Kevin Clark. And, you know, he genuinely feels like that series should have gone seven against the Lakers. And he's probably right. There were two plays that if they flip, it's a seven-game series. Game three, Cleveland, JR hits the three, they win. Um, if if LeBron hits that— is true. Huh? What you're describing is true, but I think if, if Cleveland wins game, wins game three— Maybe they don't Golden win game State four. Probably, game, Golden State probably just rolls through them in game four, yeah. Or yeah. if Draymond doesn't get suspended the previous year— Golden State wins in five, and then Durant never goes there because he's not joining the champions. So you talk about Golden State luck. In a weird way, they were lucky that they didn't win in 16. Sure, they deferred. Yeah, they deferred they, one they, championship. They passed for, it For like five, <laughs> for however many they're going to get until some team. Uh, I still, to- I love, I love watching excellence. And uh, I really enjoyed watching, <laughs> like when, when they figured out the Durant-Curry little high screen thing they were doing when they just kind of subtly moved it to the, to the corner a little bit, sure. moved it to the right shit like that. It's just, it was like next level stuff that when you think about Dude, where basketball they, when, was 12 years ago and how those Pacers Pistons rock they, fights. You mean when they figured out how that they should run more pick and roll, like every other team that's already figured out basketball <laughs> True. and they figured that out midway through the, the year. Yeah. I guess well, but the really, way they moved it made it so that the spacing on, was stop. perfect. I liked stop. it. I enjoyed stop. it. Yeah. Great. They could have done anything and it would have been, it would, everything would have seemed <laughs> perfect. <laughs> they could have been posting up KD 45 <laughs> times a game, taking the most inefficient shots in basketball and they probably still would have won. It wouldn't have, wouldn't have made a difference. Well, don't He's you feel good. like, don't you feel like they have one more level though? 
I think they go up a level this year. I think they well, were just I, starting I, to I, figure I, it out last year. Sure, but it doesn't matter because the regular season is going to be a joke. The first three rounds of the playoffs are going to be a joke, just like they were last year. And then they're going to play some crappy team in the East that's also going to be a joke. So whether they have another level or not, I don't know that they'll ever be pushed enough to use it. I don't think that'll ever happen. What if Cleveland trades? Uh, what if Cleveland trades that Brooklyn pick for Boogie Cousins? No, Cleveland would have to trade the Brooklyn pick for Jesus Christ, and then I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think they'd be able to make. I think they'd be able to. You know, make it a six-game series, maybe if they had him. I'm not sure. If you I, don't, were, I don't know, there could be some players. Maybe not Boogie, but maybe AD. I don't know. Maybe in a healthy AD, I'm not sure. Maybe you could combine. The team can be beat with the current, you know, current other teams in the league if they all decided to somehow build a super team. They can be beat. But the question is, is there any team that's a few moves away? And the closest team to that is. I don't know. I don't even think there is a team that's close. There isn't one team that's not multiple moves away from competing against them. Not one team. If you were Indiana and you had Oladipo and Sabonis on the table for Paul George or just Kevin Love, just flat out, here's Kevin Love. You can have him for Paul George or even Boston, Avery Bradley, Jay Crowder and two non-lottery picks. I mean, the, what the, trade what do you take? They got for Paul, the, the, the deal they got for Paul George was, Absurd. I mean, look, the guy was leaving anyway, so yeah, their their leverage diminished as the days went by. But what they got was a joke. I mean, they got two players who aren't even arguably above average basketball players. So I don't, I don't know how anyone could look at that trade. That's the guy who, who, by the way, completely crushed the offseason is Sam Presti. I've, I've never been a huge like supporter of Sam Presti. I've never been like, oh, he's the best. I've never really had the opportunity to think that, but this guy crushed the off season. I agree. Uh, added Patrick Patterson on a really good deal. Got Paul George, got rid of the pylon on defense for Carmelo. Um, <laughs> he's made some great, he made some great trades. He's uh he did a great job. And then did it, you know, did that in, in response to Katie leaving the year before, which had, you know, he, he had to just been catching his breath after getting hit in the stomach for a year. Yeah. I, um, I got to say everything they did from the moment. Happens. Yeah. From the moment KD left, um, even, even just kind of selling their souls for the Westbrook MVP campaign and being like, fine, yeah. do everything where we support you. We want you to win the MVP. Go for it, man. Um, yeah. doing You're that, the only guy allowed to rebound missed free throws. Yeah. <laughs> no one's allowed to <laughs> put it on the bulletin board. No one is allowed to rebound missed yeah. free throws. Those are Russell's missed free throw rebounds. Right. We're telling our bigs if if you're going up for a rebound, back off right now. Yeah. But yeah. I mean it worked and he won the MVP. And then they made these trades that were I, I think anybody would agree they were they were just hijackings. And yeah. uh and then Russell stayed. I mean, the cherry on, on the half fudge Sunday is that all the stuff they did from the MVP campaign to the trades to the Patterson signing, all the stuff they convinced them to it convinced them to re-sign with them, which I think when Durant left seemed inconceivable. Sure, they looked like they were just going to be the tumbleweed of the NBA. Yeah, it was going to be 2011 Cleveland, Oklahoma City. Yeah, yep. it was 2011 Cleveland multiplied by five. So yeah, now th- they can they can get Paul George to re-up for another contract instead of jetting off to the Lakers that'll be interesting that'll be really and then and it'll be a I mean whether he stays or not is irrelevant they've already done well but now it'll just be even more impressive if they can somehow get convince him to stay it's going to be a fascinating year I'm really excited to have basketball back and I'm excited I think more than anything other than the Celtic stuff I'm excited for the rookie class it really seems like we might have hit the jackpot with this rookie class from Start, you know, different types of players and late ra- late first round guys, couple second round guys. It just seems really deep, and uh, yep. and guys that are fun to root for. Like I really am excited to watch Darren Fox. I'm excited to watch Dennis Smith. You know, I think Mock on on the Hornets is going to be really fun. But just go down the line. This has a chance. It was a, to really, be in- it was a really deep draft. I think. Yeah. People, people, I think, you know, thought it was going to be super deep. Then the talk was, ah, it's not that good after all. And I think. History will prove that this is a really good draft. I remember doing some work going through some of the prospects and was kind of like blown away. Like, wait, this guy, he's good. Who's this? Yeah. Where's this guy projected to go? Oh, five. Oh, interesting. He's quite good. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, there's going to be a, it'll be, 
I mean, the rookies for me are always kind of like, I'm always going with zero expectation, knowing that the best rookie is probably not going to be above average regardless, but there might be some flashes. And I think there's, there's, there's definitely a chance for some of these rookies to, to, to have some flashes and have some, the good thing is they're all, they all seem to be on teams that are also kind of exciting to, or in interesting situations, um, that kind of adds to the, uh, mystique of it a little bit. Yeah, I'm a little worried. Fultz is the one that worries me out of, the, out of the top guys. Just situation combined with the way some of the last few months have played out and he changes free throw shooting. And I'll be interested mm-hmm. to see how he does once the season starts. But And then we have we also have uh, the Ben Simmons rookie, right? He's a rookie too. Oh, he's he's a lock for rookie of the year, I think. Unless uh unless Lonzo goes to another level right away. But it seems like Ben Simmons is gonna have the ball almost all the time. Yeah. And unless he shoots like thirty-two percent, which isn't inconceivable, I'll I would take, say, I'll take the other I'll take the other side of your lock for Ben Simmons to be rookie of the year. You got me. I'll what take is the it? Field. You can have. I don't know. You said he's a lock, so I just I'll just yeah. Take you're right. Lock, you're right. Lock is wrong. I <laughs> shouldn't have said lock. And, I'll take the rest, and you can and you can. I should say he's even money, but no, I don't. I definitely favorite? don't want to do that. I, I love how you're <laughs> thinking, but no, I would say he's a lock to be the favorite. I think the uh, Tate aren't the odds. He's the favorite, right? I think Dennis Smith is another one. Just if that team's bad, he just might be able to have the Tyreek Evans King season. Sure. Know, just he to, seems like a good. He seems like a good player. He yeah. seems He seems like he might be the steal of the draft. I, you know, we're basing it on summer league, but he he definitely looked really good in summer league. I will say. He does seem. It even felt in the moment. I wasn't a huge fan because of the Steve Francis potential, but then when he fell to nine, it just seemed like, oh man, I've seen this play before. The guy sure. falls a couple spots too low and he falls to the perfect team. And, you know, I think, I think Monk could potentially haunt some teams too. And then, you know, Kuzma's going to the hall of fame already. <laughs> he definitely the is. He's the greatest, greatest three point shooter in the history of basketball. But Lonzo's going to be fun. I think the fun thing for, for me, just as a West coast basketball fan is that we actually have a fun crew of West coast teams this year. Even Phoenix is watchable. You know, I'll, I'll flip on Devin Booker and, to all those young dudes, you know. <laughs> you'll, you'll watch. You'll watch for the 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 seventy three point Earl Watson. Let me get Devin Booker as many points as right. possible. Type games. He yeah, gives I, up seventy eight like, on the other like end. That. Yeah, I think that stuff's exciting. <laughs> he got that. The Sacramento team is this bizarre blend of older, borderline washed up guys, and then young guys who haven't arrived yet, and they're just kind well, of all did. thrown together. They did sign a couple good mentors like Zach Randolph to really guide those young players. <laughs> <laughs> in then, the right direction. Some after what things you can move on to after after your sports career is career is over. You got some different business opportunities. I feel like a guy like that can really mm. mentor some of these young guys. Yeah, let's leave that hanging in the air. And then the uh, two LA teams and Golden State. I mean, it's Clippers Portland will be, be fun. fun. Yeah, let, let's end Clippers on the Clippers because be we got to go. The Clippers are okay. the Clippers are like a fantasy team. It's so like they sign just, me up for sign me up for Milos and Danilo Gallinari and whoever else they can. Add to that team because I'm a Clipper. I'm I'm I'm, I'm going to be a Clipper fan next year. I think I'm going to enjoy watching that team play. I'm excited to go to Clipper games again and not hate the product that I'm watching, and not hate the the how miserable everybody is and how they're just it's the same Groundhog Day offense over and over again. And Wait. now it's going to be unpredictable. Now I'm excited. Yeah, it's going to be. Uh, I mean, I love that type of what you described to me just sounded like having people miserable all the time, you know, complaining that to me is that's my, that's my sweet spot right there. But yeah, they're going to be a, they're going to be a fun, they're going to be a fun team to watch for sure. Did you see some of the underhand passes this guy was throwing? Oh my God. No look, it's, it's ridiculous. I don't care how bad that guy is on defense. Yeah. He is going to be a plus player in the NBA. I think my guards up only because of the history of, these guys coming in late, these legends, these point guards. Oh, wait, do you see this guy? And it never really seems to happen, but his passing mm-hmm. really does seem special. Yeah, his passing is 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 ridiculous. And it's there you have a, a pretty unselfish team if you look at yeah. if you look at uh, if you look at the, the other guys around him, they've added, you know, Blake's never really been a selfish player. DeAndre just doesn't do anything but his role. Yeah. Danilo's always been an unselfish player. And they just need to add one more. You know, Beverly got unselfish, but they just need to add, you know, one more guy off the bench. I think, and they they can be a little bit more, have a little bit. I I think they're a playoff team. I, I heard that um that Doc might work twenty eight hours a week this year, so that's a bonus. I mean, he might. That is a bonus. He's going to put in more time. That'll be fun. He that might is, not play thirty six well, uh, anymore during <laughs> during the season. <laughs> we'll see. We'll definitely see. Uh, 
All right, so we can follow you on at Haralabob on Twitter, and you're not going to be a stranger. No, definitely not. Thanks for having me on, Bill. I appreciate it. I had a good time. A pleasure as always. Talk to you soon. 